This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me. It's podcasts for the weird at heart. You're listening to Keep Screaming, a horror podcast from two best friends dissecting slasher movies one by one. My name is Ryan Larson. And my name is B. McKenzie. Every two weeks, we will bring you a brand new episode where we dissect a slasher film from top to bottom. We will look at the movie as a whole, going over the story, the casting, music choices, go kill by kill, and then rank it on how well it succeeds as a slasher film. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ScreamingCast or by searching Keep Screaming. You can find me online at B-Not-B, that's B-E-E, not B-E-A, and Ryan at Ryan Larson. This week, we are dissecting 1990s Child's Play 2, directed by John Lafia. But first, our pop culture check-in. For new listeners, our pop culture check-in is a chance for you to get to know what we've been watching, reading, and consuming outside of our movie this week, as well as life updates. Um, we have a small bit of a time crunch today because B and I have busy schedules, B way more than mine. Um but uh, we're recording this during Liam's nap, so we've got about an hour. So we're going to squeeze this in. We're going to do a quick pop culture check-in before jumping into the movie today. Um, so just touch on um, a, one item a piece instead of like the usual kind of like couple bullet points. Um, I'll just – very prevalent and in the news if you're into like entertainment and movies at all. Zack Snyder's Justice League cut dropped last night. Um, and I decided to stay up and watch it because I'm a masochist. So I stayed up until midnight and then watched the four-hour and two-minute Justice uh, Zack Snyder Justice League cut. Um, B is over here literally just shaking her head now. Uh, I will say this. There's a couple things I'll say just briefly about it. Like The fans that came out about this were awful and toxic. I don't place any of that blame on Zack Snyder himself. He has come out numerous times and denounced it. I don't super love Zack Snyder as a director. I'm back and forth with him. Um, I really liked Honor of the Dead, um, and I liked Watchmen, but everything other than that I have not cared for very much. B is also shaking her head again. Um, but I, I like as a film fan, like what he went through um, during the filming of this was horrible and tragic, and I am really, really happy that they decided to give him the ability to finish his movie. I think that is really awesome that they did that. Do I think the circumstances surrounding it were great? No, like the fandom got really toxic. But I do think that the studio doing that and being able to let him craft something that he didn't get to because of a personal tragedy is really incredible. Um, I'll say this about the movie. It is significantly better than the theatrical cut. Um, it does not need to be four hours long. Uh, <laughs> like, no, it, it's, I'm certain no movie. No, I like no movie. It's definitely like he, it's, it's like Zack Snyder cut in quotations is basically like, he just literally put everything he filmed into it. And like, you know, no one came in and edited it down. Um, so like there are numerous scenes that you're just like, why is this in here? But there's also, comparatively to the original, there are a lot of scenes that you're like, oh my god, this is so much better and gives so much more context. 
instead of like the disjointed weirdness of the uh, original theatrical cut, the ending is leagues better. Like so far and away different, like the way it's cut and like because of the things leading into it, it feels much more complete and less rushed. Um, and like, you know, there um, there's obviously been a lot of controversy with this movie because of Joss Whedon too being attached to it and everything that has come out about Joss that is horrible um and so like there are lots of things he did to this film that they cut out of it that are really the movie's a lot better without his like influence in it because it just didn't fit with the tone of what Zack Snyder was trying to make um so if you're like a a completionist and a diehard fan I say give it a watch uh especially if you're like a big comic book fan there's there are lots of like really cool comic book nods he does in this um we get to see like a lot more of the Green Lantern that showed up in the original that was like teased. We could see Darkseid. Um, there's a couple other like DC characters that we get to see that weren't in the original. Um, Batman is way more effective and way more utilized, which was one one of my biggest gripes with the original. Was like I was like, why does Batman? Why is Batman here? Because he sucks. Like he just gets his ass kicked the whole movie. Um, but Batman's way better. Way more backstory for Cyborg and Flash, which was really nice because again, like they were, they felt like shoehorned I into the movie. Just, like appeared in the movie, and then I was like, who? I mean, I know who these characters are because I'm familiar with the DC universe, but they would just like appear, and I'm, uh, yeah. No, I will say like way more background, like suit, like well, and- for four hours, you would hope. Yeah, and they don't add, like, what's nice is because we know Aquaman and Wonder Woman so much, they really do actually spend more time with, like, the Flash and Cyborg and their background and their story instead of, like, the characters we already know. Um, So I would say, like, break it into pieces. Um, You know, he breaks it into six segments. Uh, So, you know, if you need to, break it into, like, two a day. But I do think, ultimately, it is a much better film. Um, Are there still things that don't need to be there? Absolutely. Is it is it a good movie still? Not really. Like I still have major problems with like way too much CG, um, and like the, just like certain certain things about the heroes that I like don't love. But I still think it's a significantly better movie. Um, and I and, and I'm very very happy for Zack Snyder that he got to put out what was his vision for this movie. I think that's really cool. Yeah, I saw somebody post about it yesterday, and they. They're like, should I, you know, should I watch it? And the person was like, well, what are your thoughts? They're like, it is better, but that depends on your thoughts on like Snyder. Did you like Man of Steel and Batman versus Superman? And I just said in my head, I'm like, absolutely not. I did not. And yeah. I'm, and they're like, then it's not for you. And I'm like, this movie is not for me. I yeah. I, I mean, I, I will like, say. I do not care for either of those. Out of the three, it's the best one. Um, it's better than both of those for sure. Because uh, I don't like either. I like straight up actively dislike Batman versus Superman. And this is a movie that I walked away from going like, that was pretty good. Like that was a yeah, lot like that was a lot better than what I saw originally. And like, yeah. it doesn't fill me with hatred. <laughs> like that. Yeah. Superman. Like exactly. That movie does like strike an unnecessary, like angry chord in me for whatever reason, which is a bummer because I feel like I enjoy the DC universe more. Um, and I've always enjoyed, and I know it from TV 
and I've always like loved those characters because of the TV adaptations. And then, you know, Marvel just has done it so much better. And then you get these DC movies that you're so excited about. And, and, and DC's always felt like a little bit more, at least in its adaptations, like true to like a comic feel and has like this more stylized feel and all the adaptations, which I really enjoy that I don't think Marvel, the Marvel adaptations feel so grounded in reality. That uh, they, I feel the opposite. Really? I've always thought no, feel... he's like way too serious until Aquaman. Like I thought Aquaman was the first one where I was like, this feels like a comic book movie. And like the Marvel movies were the first to embrace like bright, colorful costumes and like extravagant, like ridiculous plot lines. And like the DC ones are like grim dark. Yeah, I don't know. I guess it's like different of what you feel like is comic-y. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense, actually. Um, no, but I, I would say like it's worth it's worth it's worth a watch. Yeah. Um, and like the biggest thing yeah, with this stuff is like I really like all their casting. Like I like Henry Cavill as Superman. I like Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman, and I like Ben. I even like Ben Affleck as Batman. I just thought the movies they were in save for wonder woman because i actually really enjoy wonder woman um we're always kind of like i was like oh this sucks because like it's a good casting choice but like the movie you're in is just not very good yeah hmm. yeah but, I, i'll uh, be interested to see where all of that goes because i know the new wonder woman didn't do well critically no no it did not um and not just critically but like from fans yeah, um, I haven't watched it yet, but I have yet to meet somebody who liked it. I liked it, um, but I'm a freak, and everyone knows that. Yeah. Uh, like, it, is it is it the best? No, but like, is it enjoyable? Yeah, and also, come on, Chris Pine. Like, I'll watch it. Chris Pine makes everything better. Chris Pine, a hundred percent, makes anything watchable. Yeah, um, multiple times over. I have rewatched so many movies that are barely movies because Chris Pine is in them. Yeah, it's not even fair how he just keeps getting hotter. I know, cruel. I mean, I'm enjoying it, but it's cruel. It's cruel for men. <laughs> I is. enjoy it. I enjoy looking at him year after year. Please, somebody give him another Star Trek movie for the love of God. Yeah, for real though. Um, I watched through the Jurassic series. Like all uh, five? Last, yeah, last weekend-ish, um, over like the last week. Um, since Ben, my husband is not super into movies. He's a lot more into them since being married to me, which is at this point like half his life, basically. <laughs> but uh, we have been getting into like going through franchises the last couple of years, and especially during uh, COVID. We've watched more movies than I would say probably in the 10 years we've been together. I think a lot of people could probably say that. Oh, I would agree um, with that. Yeah, and so we were, uh, Liam is getting into dinosaurs, and so it kind of, we're like, oh, we should, like, turn Jurassic Park on, and it was streaming on Netflix, and so we turned it on, and he got a little scared. He's getting to that point where, like, he's kind of understanding um, what things happen in films a lot. We kind of have to be careful what we put on around him, and so we're like, oh, okay, we'll hold off on this, because he seems to be getting a little freaked out by it. Um, like he'd get excited when the dinosaurs came on and then he'd be like, what's happening? Why are all these loud noises and people screaming? <laughs> um, 
so we got we like took a break and then I was like god like let's let's watch through it like I really want to watch it and then you know you watch one and you're like oh well let's watch the other one and then then we ended up watching the whole series um I mean just I mean there's not much to say about Jurassic Park that hasn't already been said I mean it's a masterpiece and it's just it's just such a great series in general like the original three I'm a massive fan of Jurassic World I really like the second one um and I'm excited for the new one next summer I'm excited for like the Jurassic World trilogy uh to like finally end and I want to see like they sort of build on a lot of big ideas in the second one and so I'm excited to see how they wrap those up but just super fun and like true blockbusters oh yeah Every and every single one of them, and I mean, I like went through and you know, you finish a series, you got to rank them. And I definitely like the third one the least. But even, but even with that said, like, I don't dislike watching it. Like, well, well, Sam deals in it. Like, yeah, no, exactly. I mean, and Tealiana, and so it's just, it's still exciting to watch and I wouldn't be mad if somebody's like, Oh, you want to watch Jurassic Park three? You'd be like, yeah, okay. And I think that's so rare in a series to like enjoy every entry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, I remember rewatching them right before world came out and mm-hmm. it's definitely my least favorite. I mean, it, it goes in the order they came out. It's one, two, three for the original trilogy, you know? And, uh, yeah. And I, I, I mean, I saw my problems with two as well. Like, I, I don't think either of them hold a candle to Jurassic Park, because <laughs> um, Jurassic Park is like a perfect movie. It's it to me, it is wild to think that Steven Spielberg made Jaws, which is the movie that invented blockbusters, and then twenty years later made Jurassic Park, which was like the movie that reinvented summer blockbusters. Um, like those two movies alone make that man a legend uh but like yeah Jurassic I, Jurassic Park is just like near flawless and then after that I think they just become a lot of fun um like very big popcorn fun um and Jurassic World did a very similar thing to Force Awakens which is where it just like followed the same beats of the original which I don't hate because when you have a formula that works why tamper with it um like they still no, had think... new ideas into it but they were like let's follow mm-hmm. loosely the plot of the original movie because that movie is one of the most massively successful movies of all time now that's what's so great about jurassic world and like every and watching it so closely with the original my god like what a fantastic job they did like it really is incredibly impressive to sort of reboot uh such a beloved franchise and one of like especially the original film that's considered like so innovative and a masterpiece and like such a massive stamp on pop culture that's a lot of pressure and yeah they did exactly that they created new beats with a similar story that you feel familiar with and then they did things that I find are way more interesting than in Jurassic Park having you know people actually there the whole villain bad guy story is way more interesting than the first one um so these things that like weren't great about the first one but didn't hurt it because it's just so well done 
but like the bad guy in the first one, like, oh, I'm going to steal these embryos and like I have to get there a sp- specific time and I'm just going to like shut down the grid with this like sort of funny 90s virus, you know? Yeah. It's, it's nothing too like big and that's fine, right? But then when you take it into Jurassic World and you take it into like, all right, this movie came out in 2014, it's got to be a lot bigger deal. It's, it's great. Uh, it's so smart and yeah, I mean, I just, yeah, it's just a great series. I love it. And I just have so much fun with it. And they're definitely movies that, I mean, you can pretty much watch. I've seen them all so many times and they just don't don't get boring. Oh, like, yeah. yeah, sounds great. Let's watch them. Yeah, I'll probably run back through it before the, the new one comes out. I, I still haven't seen Fallen Kingdom. Um, so I need to make my way through. Yeah, Fallen Kingdom. I, I mean, I rank them uh, Jurassic Park, Jurassic World. Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom, and then Jurassic Park two and three. Interesting. Um, I, I heard uh, I, Fallen Kingdom actually had some good like horror moments in it. It's very horror. Um, it leans into it more than any of the other films do, uh, and it's part of probably why we're so fascinated and in love with the first one because it does have some like truly suspenseful kind of horrific moments. Right. And the the second Jurassic World movie really leans into that. Yeah. Um, and has scenes that feel straight out of just a monster horror movie and not a monster action movie. See, that's, again, what I love about Spielberg with, with the original Jurassic Park with Jaws. He created two movies that realistically are horror creature features, but also somehow yep. action blockbusters. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Because every time you see people arguing about, like, are these movies horror? Like, Jurassic Park and Jaws are always brought up. And I'm just like, Spielberg, baby. <laughs> like, he knew yeah. he knew what he was doing. Um, yeah, it's so great. Uh, and again, like, it makes sense why you would, like, those movies are incredibly successful. So, of course, you're going to try to, like, ape that feeling into the new movies. I never, yeah. I never get that as a knock. When people are like, oh, it's too much like the original. I'm like, but the original is amazing. Like, and it's different when comedies do it. I feel like it doesn't work because like a comedy, like if it's too much like the original, you're like, I've seen these jokes before, but in action movies, you're like, if it's big and exciting, it's big and exciting. So like, that's, it's a different feeling, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of franchises, B and I took a slight detour. We were going to do slumber party massacre, but we had a little hiccup because we have a special guest on that episode and we had some scheduling conflicts. So we um, decided to cover a uh sequel in a franchise um so what this will be let's see we've done one of the halloweens we've done two fridays we've done two nightmares and now we will have done two child's plays because we are covering child's play 2 from 1990 today a little rare 90 slasher i know right right baby right at the turn yeah um, so Child's Play 2 uh, takes place two years after serial killer Charles Lee Ray uh, inserted his soul into a Chucky doll. I do not like how that is phrased. That is weird. Uh, a toy company attempts to recreate the doll, bringing Ray back in the process. The possessed doll, intent on claiming a human body, kills his way toward former owner Andy, who now lives in a foster home. Andy's foster sister, Kyle, tries to protect him, but his foster parents believe Andy is just a troubled kid. 
and Chucky's murderous path continues. Um, this, yeah, uh, this was released November 9th, 1990, which would be two years almost exactly after Child's Play, right? Right. Yeah. Yep. Um, so that's, that's a pretty quick turnaround for back then. Um, like we would start to see that quick turnaround. Oh, it is two years exactly, like to the Uh day. Um, we would start to see like quicker turnarounds like that. I feel like, uh, like in, in this era, like the nineties is when we would, really start to see those like boom like if something was really successful we'd see that sequel hot on the heels like batman's a big one with batman returns and even later in the decade we see like scream and scream 2 had an incredibly fast turnaround um but like for the for this era i think like two years is actually a pretty quick turnaround on something for the first couple yeah and they got quicker in between in the late 80s and 90s and those later sequels of other franchises yeah, I mean, Universal had a hit. The first one was a smash success. And so they're like, yeah, let's do this. So what we had Friday, we had Halloween and Nightmare all producing sequels in this time frame. Uh-huh. And they were well into them, like what, three, four plus. Oh, yeah. And all those series. Yeah. And so Universal's like, damn, all right, let's 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 do this. Yeah, uh, budget of thirteen million made thirty five point eight. Not quite as successful as the original. Um, the original was nine million, so you know a much not a much smaller budget, but a smaller budget, and then made forty four. Um, so that's also interesting, actually, with this movie. And I wonder if it what like what it was. I wonder if it was marketing. I wonder if it was what like what else came out. I'd have to look because that's a trend we don't see normally with these franchise movies like as you and i have it's seen like it's bigger mm-hmm. it's usually bigger 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 like even even as the movies got worse right because we've seen all those docs you know crystal lake memories and never sleep again that talk about how it didn't matter if the movies and quality were getting worse like the fervor was there and so people were just like mm-hmm. hungry for them so i wonder if it's because the slasher era had kind of ended um like the golden era of the slasher and I mean, so it was suffering at this point for sure oh big time yeah um yeah, it was feeling stale mm-hmm. so that's kind of interesting this is one of the first ones i feel like we've covered that like really took that like still successful um but just like where the first one you know literally what quadrupled no quintupled its budget um this one just barely doubled i mean it, it- yeah, it still debuted at number one, um, and it went up against Jacob's Ladder, Ghost, um, nothing. I mean, two very big movies, but um, those followed after second and third, uh, but nothing that was probably fighting for the same attention that Child's Play 2. Right. It's a weird, I just looked we it up. serious drama. We have yeah. a romance. It was a weird month, uh, November 1990. I just looked it up. Uh, Child's Play 2, Predator 2, Rocky 5, um, like uh, Psycho 4, uh, Dances with Wolves, which was very successful, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but like kind of a weird, like lots of lots of sequels in there, actually. Yeah. I mean, early 90s was just chock full of them. Mm-hmm. But then, oh, you know what was released a week after that probably killed it? Um, Home Alone. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes sense, actually. Okay. That kind of. Hmm, yeah. And then Home Alone took over. It takes, it's funny. It takes place too. Same place, Chicago. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think of that. That's funny. Uh-huh. Same year. Uh, uh, yeah. And then, you know, Home Alone reigned for what? Like six months, yeah. basically. That was huge. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 40% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's actually a little lower than I was expecting. Yeah, I mean, at the time, right? Uh-huh. I mean, I have to look up and see what uh, Child's Play itself did, um, like ratings-wise. But like when you read uh, the reviews from the Times, Richard Harrington from the Washington Washington Post said it was an inevitable sequel that's not as good as its predator or uh, predecessor, but better than most movies with numbers two through eight in their title and even that right there just gives you a glimpse into what the box office what type of movies were coming out yep if a review is like hmm, well it's better than you know a lot of these two through eight sequels we're seeing um and so you know that might have been universal might have just been a little late for the the sequel cash grab to really I mean, this movie has plenty of sequels and has plenty of success. But as far as it comes to like money and ratings, maybe didn't do as well as some of those sequels that were popping out in the height of the 80s flashers. Right. Um, Kevin Thomas of the Los Angeles Times thought the original was a terrific one-of-a-kind thriller, not so the sequel it's an all-out horror film handsomely produced but morbid and not in the least amusing to watch um and most of the reviews from this time play out just about that you know of course there's a review from siskel giving it zero stars saying it's disgusting and of course you know horrible and one of those two always hated it yeah killer dolls uh it's it's always touchy whenever we cover a slasher that somehow relates to something related to children. Yep. Never does well with reviewers in these times. Yeah. Um, Especially if Santa Claus is involved. Holy shit. Oh my God. You dare touch Santa Claus. Like (laughs) we had a killer Jesus or something. They're like so offended. (laughs) We realize they're two separate entities, right? They both are involved in Christmas. Like, anywho. Uh, but, you know, when you look at more uh, modern reviews, bloody disgusting, of course, with the biggest horror review sites, uh, Evan Dixon wrote for them saying how it surpasses the original film and wrote Child's Play 2 manages to strip away all the artifice and still manage to be an effective slasher. Uh, and I feel like that's the general consensus from horror fans is that this is superior to the original, that it. It's, it's more of a horror film. It's more of a slasher because it doesn't have to spend so much time just telling you who Chucky is and how there's this, you know, killer stuck in the box, like the lore of how Chucky is him. Right. We don't have to do any of that in this movie. It literally starts and within 10 minutes we have a kill. Where it's, it's funny because I do feel like it's a, I definitely feel like it's a better slasher. Mm-hmm. Um, I still think the first movie is a better movie Mm -hmm. Um, because like you and I have discussed so many times before, like that build up with characters is important. And also like, you know, like it's, 
we get Chris Sarandon. We get we actually get to see Brad Dorif in the original. Mm-hmm. Like I think there are like little things. I don't, and I I'm not saying the original is like a way better movie. I think they they both have give and take. Um, if yeah. I had to say, like I think the original is, I think the original is like a little better um, as a movie, like as a straight up movie. But as like a horror movie and a slasher, like this movie definitely I think succeeds on more fronts than the first one. It does, for sure. And it's funny because I looked back, I watched these movies, I mean, not really for the first time, but kind of when we did them for the podcast, when we did the first one for the podcast, mm-hmm. I didn't really see them as an adult. Uh, and so I watched through Child's Play through Seed. Um, and I looked back at my ratings and I'm like, God, I remember, I think like remembering it, I like Child's Play 2 the most. And sure enough, I mean, I just barely ranked it a little bit higher. I gave all the other ones three stars and this one three and a half. Um, And it's funny because then watching the second time after having seen the whole series, I enjoyed it less the Uh second time. Um, And I think it's for that exact reason that the first time I watched it, I really enjoyed the the sort of um not return but how it um wow my brain's not working how it leaned into tropes more than the original Mm -hmm. um and how it felt more like a slasher and i loved the finale and though that's all still true but then i think when you can look and see it as a whole more like as a series you can see where you know chucky goes as a character uh I I think I enjoy some of the later installments better mm-hmm. because I I enjoy that flavor of Chucky more. Yep. And you can you can say that about a lot of them. It's you know there's been a lot of discourse lately about how scary like slashers are and if they're scary. And I think part of that plays into you know when we look into where these like six, seven, eight sequels go with some of these villains. If you look at Nightmare as a movie, that's a very different experience than if you look at Nightmare as a series. Yep, 100%. And so, for and I think you can take it either way. People are either going to like the series more because of where it evolved to and who Freddy Krueger became, or you're going to like it less because you really identified with that type of killer in the first one which is way more serious and menacing than you get throughout the series and i feel like chucky does that too where it's a little bit more menacing and scary in the first couple and then we start to see this character evolve into the the quippy entertaining i'm kind of rooting for chucky at this point because that's how i feel about watching nightmare i'm rooting for freddy in the later ones and I'm just enjoying, I just want him on screen and I'm just enjoying him like taking the reins. Where in Nightmare, the first one, it's like, no, you're, you got Nancy's back. Like, you're like yep. that's my girl. Like, that's my final girl. Like, through this like psycho who is like taunting her. This is a different experience. And so I feel that way about this series a lot. I think they mirror each other pretty well. Totally. Um, and I think it's because our main antagonist, who is essentially our lead character, is very similar. They become yeah. they become more and more tongue-in-cheek and referential mm-hmm. and, and one-liner. And that's what happens, I think, when you have a killer who is talk who talks, because we see that 
that argument happens less with the Halloween and the Friday movies because that becomes more about did we enjoy our kills as much? Did we enjoy our final girl as much? Um, whereas these movies, you're like talking about the killer. Um, and, you know, like, but those movies, you're talking about like the final girls. Um, and, well, right. And the only kind of like kills. discourse can come into of like how ridiculous is the way they brought them back. Yeah. That ends up what that is really like the discourse that happens between those two series with Halloween and Friday is that or you know, what kind of wacky backstory did they add yeah, to, exactly. to Michael now? Yeah, exactly. Like what, who's relative and what curse is you know mm-hmm. bringing him back and why the fuck is Jason in the ocean on his way to Manhattan when Crystal <laughs> Lake is a lake? Like you know. You, you get into those discussions of like, oh my God, this is ridiculous. As opposed to the like, oh my God, this killer isn't scary anymore because he's cracking jokes. Right. Yeah. Totally agree. Um, B, what do you think about this poster? Because I'll say this. I, I remember it. It's so memorable to me. Like this is one of the most like definitely like always grabbed my attention in a video store. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, way funny. more than the original. I don't because I was I wasn't uh, alive at this point when this movie came back came out. Um, just barely. I was almost here. Uh, I don't remember. I don't have an experience like a nostalgia with seeing it. Um, I don't remember this poster at all. Uh, it's super good. It's uh actually one like it's some of the trivia is that the art direction for the the film including like all the promotions that they did not just the poster but the team that was in, in control of uh marketing this got nominated for like a design award um and it makes sense yeah i mean it's beautifully composed you have chucky holding on to some like uh large scissors and there's a uh called Jack in the Box there's a Jack in the Box and with like a terrified look on its face like it's animated like it's alive and it it, you know setting up to lead you to believe that Chucky's going to cut it off compositionally and it's funny I kept thinking about that as I was doing the research is we're so used to doing these like low budget indie slashers and we don't cover a lot of these big budget ones that I forget as I'm like I'm looking up every actor as like a hundred plus credits and the you know cinematographer and the editor like they're all so like have so much under their belt and then I look at this poster and I'm like god yeah like oh my god I'm like oh well I mean this is what happens when you have a large budget to you know pay an art department to to come up with these ideas so it's beautifully composed I mean insanely professional I mean, it, as a designer, like you can analyze this with all the technical terms and it's going to hit it. Um, one I talk about a lot that, you know, Ryan usually can pick up on now is where your eye is led to. Mm-hmm. And so we have a really bright spot because the jack in the box is white. And then the scissors are really shiny, reflective silver. And, it, and it's composed in a way where there's a spotlight. So those are really bright. And because again it's beautifully composed the shadows are all really realistic so because Chucky's in the background only part of him hits the the spotlight and then the rest is shadowed out 
it draws your eye directly to the middle of the poster then then takes you down to the title which then can bring you back up to the other white text that's at the very top so you can go around and loose on this poster and never leave yeah no i mean and that, that's the goal that was the first thing i thought of when i saw it like because i've learned so much from you i'm immediately drawn to the middle where i'm seeing the mm -hmm. top, the like the jack and box face but also chucky's face which is super sinister and menacing because the shadow is like blocking half of it out mm -hmm. and then the scissors bring me down to the child's play two which i love the white with the two the red two behind it uh, mm -hmm. and then just it, like because the way it all draws out like once you see child's play 2 it's almost like your brain automatically scans out and you see the thing as a whole um yeah and i yeah i just like i love how bright it is like the reds the blues the whites they all work really well together like the way chucky's eye is blue and then the blue with the red on his sleeves that matches the hair of the doll like i just thought it was really good you just like it because it's all colors that you can see that's true. Um, it's all like very <laughs> bright primary colors, so I can actually see them. You're like, I know this. I'm just waiting for you to say because this is purple. I'm like, that's not purple, right? <laughs> color. The only thing I would say is weak about this poster is I don't love the tagline. Yeah, so here's, and I didn't make that connection until we were just talking about it. So the tagline on the poster is, sorry, Jack, Chucky's back. Are that tagline literally just in reference to the Jack in the Box on the poster? I, I it has to be right because I was yeah. trying to think I'm like oh is it just because it's in like expression and you know Jack rhymes with back and I get that and I was like no oh, that's kind of and then I see the Jack in the Box I'm like oh okay so it ties in better now that I remembered that those are called Jack in the Boxes yeah. it may like it, it's fine I just think like like it's not bad I just think it's the weakest part of the poster yeah, it's just, it's very in in the world of this poster. Right. Um, so if it wasn't advertising a movie, it would be very, very clever. Um, but because it is about a movie and this isn't, you know, a scene that takes place when I have a character named Jack, like, um, it's, I get it. It's because it's done so well, like I can give it like a, a, a pass, uh, because they are using this poster to market the film with this character, but in its own, like they're creating an additional scene in the movie, essentially, right. with yeah. this poster, which I don't, which people are going to be like, Beef, you hate that. Like you hate when there's stuff on the poster that's not in the movie. And I'm like, I hate when they try and make it look like it's a scene or it's like a random character. Like it can right. be done well. And this is a scenario when it's done well. Right. Because this, this is almost like bonus content. Yeah, mm -hmm. like, this tells you what the movie is. Like, if you haven't seen mm -hmm. the original Child's Play, you're like, oh, okay, so, like, obviously we have some sort of murderous doll here, but it does exist yeah. in this world of, like, children and playthings, and, like, like right. it gives you, it's context clues, which which is different, I think. Right, and, um, you know, one of my biggest gripes when we covered the original Child's Play is the fact that we don't have Chucky on the poster. Right, it's just, and like, his eyes, right? It's just his eye and like a building and somebody falling out of the building with lightning, which is all very in line with a, it's a scene from the movie. So this is a true example of like having a marketing department that can take something and create something in line with the film without having to have something directly from the movie itself. Yeah. Um, so just like, you know, A plus really 
really exciting to be able to talk about something at this level for sure. Um, and it makes you, yeah, appreciate it a lot more, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's definitely better taglines. Um, so that tagline is good for that poster, but I'm glad they have other ones. So it's playtime again. Um, this fall, Chucky rules. Uh, in 1988, he startled us with a frightening vision. Then he was destroyed and left for dead. Now he's about to be reborn. That's not a tagline. That That's is so early 80s. A, oh, so bad. Um, keep an eye out for it, uh, which is fun. And there's an eye scene in this movie and an eye kill. So that's fun. And then again, look out, Jack. Chucky's back. And sorry, Jack, Chucky's back. I think I like the, they're all kind of generic, but I think that it's playtime again, kind of rules as the, the taglines go. Yeah, I agree. And that one's the best. I don't, this fall Chucky rules, like, mm, eh, it's like school-ish. I get it. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah. There, I mean, the 80s and 90s were interesting for taglines. I feel like sometimes they really get it and sometimes they're just like grasping at straws. Yeah. Uh, produced, as anyone listening probably knows, a ton of sequels. We got Child's Play 3 in 91, Bride of Chucky in 98, Seed of Chucky in 2004. Then we would see our biggest break, almost 10 years, Curse of Chucky um, in 2013, Cult of Chucky in 2017. We got the Child's Play remake in 2019, and then the Child's Play series, or I think it's actually going to be Chucky. called Chucky. Um, it drops this oh, year? Yeah, yeah, this year. It's 2021. And that's uh, Don Mancini and I believe Nick and Tosca from um, Channel Zero. Yeah, I'm so, 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 so excited. I'm unbelievably excited. (laughs) I I mean, give us any slasher content, right? But especially in a freaking TV show that like just fills my soul with so much joy. I'm like, you're giving me my two favorite things in the world, TV and a slasher, like, please. Right, and handled by the original creator and a new mm -hmm. voice. That's super exciting. Ugh, super stuff. Yeah, plus like a massive amount of returning cast. It's it's very exciting. Um, I'm sure Ryan and I will cover it uh, oh, for yeah. the podcast. It's, we're super excited. So um, it's it's always nice to see something and like cover something that has so much, mm-hmm. so much love. And yeah, I haven't checked out the new ones. Those were both uh, like independent, right? Those weren't theatrical releases? Or yeah, they were straight to VOD. Um, okay. I think Curse actually dropped on Netflix, uh, and then Colt was VOD and then Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, I like them both. I think Curse is mm-hmm. better. I think Colt. I feel like Curse like reeled it in, and then Colt like really got wacky again. But like it plays in the world because like Andy comes back like as an adult, and it's the same person who plays Andy. Um, and they like touch base with like a bunch of different characters that showed up in the like throughout the series. So, um, but there's some like pretty silly stuff with it but like that's where the series is kind of gone it was just kind of totally weird because curse like i felt like curse like really reeled it back into like a slasher horror movie and then colt was like and we're goofy again so i think it kind of like it was just like kind of whiplash um but i i still think they're i think they're both good and i think they're both fun yeah i'm excited to check those out um i did check out the remake um which I didn't think was bad. I just didn't care for some of the casting choices. Honestly, that's what 
hurt me the most with that film but yeah I I definitely didn't think it was bad whatsoever I didn't uh, I definitely didn't like hate it like I wasn't mm-hmm. like oh my god this is terrible but I agree some weird casting and like just some weird story beat things but like mm-hmm. I thought the kills were cool like that lawnmower kill mm-hmm. was super good yeah I think that's it's been streaming what used to be streaming on Hulu I think I think it might still be um so that's that's around streaming if anybody uh wants to check it out i don't know is that is that getting anything else i have no idea i don't know yeah i have no idea yeah. i don't know much about what's happening with that i don't it's, know if that kind of they're super died in the water or what yeah but um so our director for this film is john Mafia. um so he co-wrote the original um, so he's one of the the writing partners on the first one. And then he took the reins from Tom Holland and directed this one. He actually passed away last April, so April 2020. Um, didn't do much. Uh, this is definitely like the big highlight of his career. He directed a movie called Man's Best Friend in 93. And he did direct two episodes of Freddy's Nightmares, which I saw, um, which... I will do a little plug for our dear friend Brennan. I uh, did a podcast uh, covering every single episode of that very interesting TV show. Ryan and I were both guests on it separately. Yep. Um, uh, still to this day, the only other podcast I've ever been on. So you should go listen to it. Yeah. Welcome to, it's called Welcome to the Primetime. And it is yeah. a wild ride. And Brennan gets yeah. a ton of really great um, guests on there. And it was all done for charity. So it's really, really yeah. cool. So, yes, if you want to hear more about John Lafia, uh, listen to uh, that show because you will hear Brennan talk about him twice. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, yeah, so John Mancini, who we've talked about, is the writer. Uh, it is the extremely rare scenario where he has written every single Child's Play slash Chucky movie, excluding the remake. Um, but anything that, like, Chucky is his, that is his baby. Um, and it's really amazing to see uh, a franchise have the same writer. I mean, I guess we have Scream, right? But, but Kevin what, Scream didn't, didn't do Scream three. Three. He didn't like super. Yeah. Right. He like his so, story is based on something Kevin uh-huh. did, but like written by yeah. Aaron, Aaron Krieger. So, but I mean, even with that said, like you can see the consistency in the series and the voice being carried over, um, just like you can see in the screen franchise, there's a huge advantage to um, keeping the same writer and creator. And I just love that. And I think that's part of why the horror world is also so excited for the TV show, um, just to see Mancini like behind the wheel in that fashion too. Um, did a couple episodes of Channel Zero, did a few episodes of Hannibal. I mean, he's a horror guy. Oh yeah. Um, this guy. is this is his genre. This is what he does. Yeah. So, um and I've heard nothing but like really I amazing things. Anybody who's ever met him just says he's just the absolute best. So Yeah, he's um he he also uh, so he met in Tosca that he started getting involved with in Tosca on Hannibal. 
um, and then was like that friendship carried through to Channel Zero. Um, if you guys don't know, Nick and Tosca was the showrunner for Channel Zero. I'm a big and Tosca fan. That movie Antlers coming out is also him. Um, that one that got pushed. And then they're working on Chucky together. And then Mancini also directed Seed, Curse, and Colt. Um, yeah. He took his directorial debut with Seed and then did the others. Um, and what's also super cool about Don Mancini um, is he was one of the first like openly gay horror creators. Um, he's well known. Uh, speaking of Kevin Williamson, alongside Kevin Williamson and Clive Barker, he is um, one of the most prevalent and one of the few openly gay horror screenwriters. Yeah, and it's um, it's been cool to see that journey as he gets more, I think, more comfortable with that too, because we see that reflected in the movies. Yeah, I am a big fan of Seed. I really, really liked it. Um, I went in with super low expectations. That's the first one he directed, right? Yep. Yeah, I went in with kind of low expectations because everybody's like, this movie's really weird. Like, this movie's really weird. Like, and I'm like, okay, well, like, weird's not always bad. And then I watched it. I'm like, oh, wow, okay. I actually really liked this, like, a lot. Um, and, yeah, it feels exactly like that. Like, especially with him, you know, behind both, mm-hmm. you see much more, like, less restraint with yep. the character and Absolutely. where the story goes and i i really enjoyed that so. yeah no don mancini is a treasure in the horror world yeah. he's an absolute icon could not agree more um graham rebel green who oh, i'm not going to say his name right uh g-r-a-e-m-e um is his first name rebel uh this i love this bit of trivia that i found on him so he has 110 credits i mean some of the big movies that he's known for are composing The Crow, Laura Croft, um, Pineapple Express. I mean, most of the movies you'll recognize if you've seen them. But this was his first big like Hollywood film score. And if you listen to it, not just in the movie, but if you just listen to the, this is a big score, right? This is like symphonic orchestra, like Hollywood score. And it, it suits the movie really well um and it's good like it's scary when you listen to it on its own like it gives you those vibes like it's something you would want to put on if you're like trying to like have a Halloween party or something you just want sort of these like big eerie vibes with like big notes and highs and lows and the producers I guess asked him if he'd done that type of score before because that's what they were looking for and he lied and said he had um, even though he had never done a full orchestral score. Um, and I mean, he pulled it off. And I think it's one of those things where like have confidence in yourself and, yep. uh, you know, fake it till you make it. And that's a lot of scenarios. Like if you have the talent and you're willing to put in the work, like I think a lot of times you can figure shit out. And I think this is a true testament to that. Well, and he obviously went on to have a very successful career. Right, yeah. With massive Hollywood movies, so yeah. Yeah, and I say, like, fake it till you make it. Like, you're not going to make it if you can't fake it. So obviously, right. he, he faked it well. Um, <laughs> he wouldn't have gone on to have a career. They would have fired him if, you know, he got... He was obviously talented enough that he could figure it out. Right. It's um, about confidence, but I love that. Right? I think, confidence yeah, I think I think that's a great, um, I've been in a few scenarios myself, uh, I mean, often as a designer, but specifically in the last year, I've been presented with a couple opportunities that I'm like, sure, yeah, I can do that. 
like I haven't, but I could do it. I could figure it out. And I did. And it's just, you know, that's yeah. how it works sometimes. And now she's freelancing for Netflix. What, what? Exactly. Uh, I knew what I was doing for them, Ryan. God. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking oh, it for Netflix. Right. Um, our cinematographer is uh, Stefan Sapsky, who is a big time Tim Burton collaborator. He would do a lot of like his earlier work, Edward Scissorhands, Ed Wood, Batman Returns. Um, he, he also did Thin Blue Line, which was very well acclaimed. Um, and then Blades of Glory. Um, that's a very totally different movie than the rest of those. Uh, I have, yeah, I have a lot of, um, bitter against that movie because that screenplay was stolen from Busy Phillips. If you read her book, um, it's like a really tragic story of like her writing it with an ex, well, I don't know if they were dating. I can't remember. I'm pretty positive they were dating, um, or at least they were good friends. And he basically just took her name off the script and sold it without her. And wow. shitty. Yeah, it was really, really shitty. And like just another fabled story of how women are treated in Hollywood. Um, she has a very interesting life. You should read her book. Uh, she talks a lot about stuff like that. Um, but that's what I think of when I think of Blades of Glory. Is I think of how shady the circumstances of that movie are. That is that is definitely not good. Um, yeah. Unrelated but, trivia for you guys. Yeah, it's, it's interesting with the with our composer here and our cinematographer that the this movie would be like very early in both of their careers yeah. because like you can edward scissorhands actually came out in 1990 as well um yeah. and then edward and batman returns would be later so like these were for both these guys these were kind of like foundational um which is something i love seeing in these movies because again we just get to see how horror helps so many people launch successful mm-hmm. careers it really does and yeah you can tell like it didn't surprise me when i looked up his cinematography we talked about it when we talked about child's play, like my disdain for gray urban cinematography, like it hurts my soul and it makes me like movies less because I just don't like how they look. Right. And I was pleasantly surprised. I think I literally like quote, Hey Ryan, we found an urban horror movie that I like um, because I like child's play and it's an urban horror movie for sure. Yeah. Um, Chicago based, like it's uh, as urban as it gets. And this movie still, even though we kind of have a little bit more like suburban Chicago feel with the like, you know, foster home and then the the house that he ends up being in with his foster parents, uh, it's still very much a gray urban setting. Mm -hmm. And uh, especially like, you know, that's very in line with like Batman Returns and even not Edward Scissorhands. it, it's uh, sort of gritty in a different way. Um, and then obviously Ed Wood is in black and white. But this this feels very in line uh, with those films for sure. Oh, yeah. It feels a lot like Batman Returns. That like mm-hmm. the snow laden cityscapes and everything. And like mm-hmm. a lot of the nighttime scenes feel like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then our editor is Edward Wash. Warshilka. Um, this would be his last film credit, but he worked on a lot of different types of movies with varying degrees of success. Uh, Rambo well, and these are pretty much the only movies he worked on, which is crazy. Oh, that's wild. Like, he only has like seven or eight credits. Yeah. Uh, Rambo 3, 
16 Candles, which is obviously huge. Harold and Maude, which is also very, very famous movie. Howard the Duck, which is famous for different reasons. Uh-huh. Uh, and then the original Child's Play. That's a... Yeah. For, uh, for such a short career, that's a very eclectic bunch of movies. And all, like, very famous movies, too. Which yeah. Which is crazy. And just, like, Harold and Maude is, like, massively critically acclaimed. Sixteen Candles, obviously, has, like, is a pop culture staple. Howard the Duck is, like, this weird phenomena of a movie. So, like, I, that's props, props to Edward for really just dipping his toes in everything there. I know. I wonder what he's up to. I don't know. I'll have to find out. Um, so our cast, we have a returning cast. So Alex Benson uh, reprises his role as Andy. Um, I mean, he's known for these movies. He uh, didn't really act outside of this. He did return uh, for the later. Which one is it? He Curse? returns as a teaser in Curse, and then he comes back. Then, for yeah, in Colt. Um, so really, like, this is what he acts for. I think, I, I know there's like some story behind it, but I don't think he particularly enjoys acting. Are there some scenario behind that? Do you know, Ryan? I don't. I haven't really followed up on it. Yeah. Yeah. I I think there's something where he was just like, I mean, and that's often happens with like child stars, like during movies. And it's like, if that's, if it's not this like insane passion of yours, it's not a career that you want to like continue, especially like through teenagehood and young right. adulthood. Like it's a hard path. So um, it doesn't super surprise me, but I do think it's cool that he agreed to reprise his role. Um, Brad Dorif, um, as recording this today, it is his birthday. Um, he is 71 years old today. Wow. Um, he is the voice of Chucky and he plays, um, well, uh, then he's also the killer that we see in the first movie. I'm forgetting his name. Charles Lee. Like, yeah, I was like, it's like David Lee Roth, but not David Lee Roth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Something like that. It's the lead singer of uh, Van Halen. Yeah. Um, we unfortunately do not get to see him outside of uh, the Chucky doll in this movie, but his voice acting is just so ridiculously incredible. And um, uh, it's just every time you watch one of these movies, you're like, "Fuck, he's so good." Uh, mm-hmm. And so I mean, good. there's a lot of a lot of impressive things about these movies, like the you know team of like ten puppeteers who you know work on uh, animating uh, Chucky. It's just it's so well done. It's so ridiculously good. And so he recorded at least for this movie, all of his dialogue beforehand, before the even the movie even got to set. And then once on set, they had his dialogue to perfectly match so the puppeteers could work on getting the dialogue to, you know, look realistic. And it does. I mean, it's just a little insane to think about these practical effects that they were doing in 1990. Like, blows my mind. Um, but Brad Dorif, uh, I mean, he's just a character actor. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, he's been in Lord of the Rings, um, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Exorcist Three, Doom. Those are like some of like the really big titles that he's been involved with. But I mean, you can find him in hundreds of things, um, always playing these just sort of like really interesting characters. He makes a ton, ton, ton of cameos in oh, horror movies. So many. Um, 
one of our favorites is in Urban Legend. Oh, he's um, a gas he station attendant. In. Yeah, he's the he's the um, harbinger, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's you know trying to warn her that they're in the back of the car, like. I mean, I can just see it so perfectly. I okay, just, he's got the stutter. He's trying to tell her. She, uh-huh. she freaks out. He's standing out in the middle of the road, pouring rain. He finally yeah. gets it out. And he's like, there's someone in the backseat. Oh, and, you know, so she's like terrified of him because he's like, you need to come inside. Like your credit card's not working. And she's like, fuck no, I'm not getting inside with you, man. Like this is scary. It's just so good. And Dorif is like, that's a, a perfect example. He's in that movie for two minutes and absolutely mesmerizing like tired completely memorable yeah tiny little scene and it's just like you know even if you don't realize it's brad doris you like remember oh yeah like the gas station scene and you're like yeah that's fucking brad doris i think he's just like an incredible actor and like very underrated very very underrated as lots of these horror guys unfortunately end up being um I actually randomly rewatched uh, Two Towers this week, um, like earlier in the, or maybe it was last week, but like I forgot he was in it, but he's in mm-hmm. it in his tongue. And I just love that for him that he got to be in this massively successful blockbuster movie. Like, not that Child's Play isn't, but like Lord of the Rings was like, oh, yeah. Level. Yeah, Lord um, of the Rings is just another level. Yeah, and I just love that he like got to be in something that's successful because I really think he deserves it. And and what's cool, like a little trivia, his daughter Fiona Dorif um, is the lead character in um, Curse of Chucky and then also in Cult of Chucky. So it's a family gig now. Awesome. Yeah, it's just this movie, like for horror fans, just kind of gives you all the warm and fuzzies because you just love the people involved. Like that's mm-hmm. how I feel. I'm like, oh, yeah. Yep. I love them. Absolutely. Um, so we have our new character in this film, Kyle. Um, she is uh, played by Christine Elise. Uh, she is uh, Andy's foster sister. They both get placed in the same home. Um, she had body statues in 93. She was in the original 90210. I think her character's name was like Cassie. Um, and then she was also makes like a cameo in like the new one uh, to like reprise her role. Not a ton of stuff, uh, but she is in the new series, yeah. um, which I'm super excited for because we will get into that. But she very much takes on a traditional final girl mm-hmm. um, arc in this film. And she's super likable. And it's, I, you really like her. And so I'm excited to see her, uh, again and how they utilize her yeah uh, in the series yeah and she has post credit scenes in both curse and cult but only like they're like stingers so i'm super excited because just like b said like i actually one of the reasons i think like this movie i like so because again i still think the first one like maybe as a movie is like a better movie per se but like I like this movie, I think, a little more. because, And part of it is because I really like Kyle as a character. I think yeah, she's super successful. She is. She's super successful. And you get um, a pretty fleshed out final girl arc out of her, um, mm-hmm. which is something that we miss out in a lot of slashers, surprisingly. And we end up craving them. And they're like, yeah, but where's like our final girl arc? And, and with movies like these and a lot of like the bigger blockbuster type slashers, we do get a lot more character investment. Um, and they, these movies are big on that. Like we know our characters outside of Chucky really well. And I love that. And they actually gave us 
somebody who's really interesting and somebody to root for in Kyle um, and somebody who grows by the end of the movie. Um, So it's super exciting. Love the addition of her. Um, The rest of the cast is kind of minor. I mean, they're they're here to get killed off. Um, We have our foster parents who, yeah. Um, Again, like I was mentioning before, I mean, all of these actors are, I mean, they're act, like they're actors, right? Like they've been in a bunch of stuff. So uh, Jenny Agutter plays Joanne Simpson. She's got 114 credits, ton of TV. She's in an American Werewolf in London, which is one of my favorites. Um, her horrible, horrible husband, Garrett Graham, as uh, Phil Simpson, 126 credits, um, Phantom of the Paradise, Terror Vision. There's some more like genre stuff he's known for. Um, again, lots of lots of TV. Um, Grace Zabriskie as Grace Poole, um, 159 credits. Uh, she plays like a neighbor in Santa Clarita Diet, one of my favorite TV shows. Um, she's in Armageddon. She's in The Grudge. She's in literally so many things. Um, Peter Haskell as Mr. Sullivan. Beth Grant, who I recognize and was like, oh my God, Beth Grant. So she reminds me of um, Carol Kane, uh, one of those actors who just see in a huge variety of movies and like TV shows. And every time like you see her, you're like, oh my God, seriously. Like, so Beth Grant plays the teacher in Miss Kettlewell. I put she's known for 1 million things, but officially 233. 233 you guys it's insane wild so she is definitely one of those people that i mean kind of like fred dorf where like you just remember them so Mm -hmm. she's literally in one episode of the office but i always two but yeah she's in two but but i you know why because i i I looked her up the other day because i watched speed and she's uh in speed and i recognized her and i was like what is she? And I was like, I recognize her. And I was like, I know she's in Donnie Darko, but I know I recognize her from something else. And she's Dwight's babysitter in the office. And she shows up in most significantly in Dinner Party. And then she shows yeah, up in a later episode. Um, but one of the best episodes of the It office. is my favorite episode of yeah, The Office. That's everybody's favorite. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. I've seen that specific episode a hundred times. We just powered through The Office. Um, I got Ben into it. He had never watched it. And I wasn't a fan of the show. I'd only seen episodes here and there. And I will say that I only, my experience is also Ben's experience. It's not funny unless you know the characters. That's how I feel. So watching one-off episodes, I'm like, "Eh, I mean, like they all seem like assholes and this isn't really that funny. But then when you watch fucking nine seasons of it and you know, it's hilarious. And I laugh constantly because you know the characters yep but anywho uh i know her very well from mindy project she's a a main ensemble cast member in the mindy project recently she was in willie's wonderland i mean she's literally in so many things um but yeah i was excited to see her (laughs) yeah no i was too she's great she's yeah she's so great she is she's she's hilarious she's seriously so funny um i yeah uh, Greg Gurman as Mattson and Adam Wiley as Sammy. Um, who, I mean, it's not like a big part from him, but it is Adam Wiley's first role. And you would know him from Under Wraps. He's like the dorky best friend in Under Wraps. 
Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, like, who's the guy who plays like the the assistant? Is that Greg German? Oh, yeah. Um, is that Greg German? Yeah, he's, he's in like everything. He's uh, another guy, especially for this era, yeah, like the nineties. He was yeah. in everything in the nineties, and he's mm-hmm. always, always like the slimy assistant. Yeah, he's famous for Ally McBeal. Yes, like yeah. he's the main guy in Ally McBeal. Right, um, right. So that's probably where people mostly recognize him from, especially Ally McBeal was like a massive pop culture thing, huge in the 90s. Um, but yeah, again, another guy, he has 117 credits. Yeah. And everything. He's in that show Friends from College. That was a Netflix show that I absolutely love. Oh, yeah, loved. yeah. That was a good one. Um, he's in Grey's Anatomy. I mean, once upon a time, looking, you'll find him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. SVU. He was on SVU for five years. Like, yeah, he's tons of stuff. Tons Uh, of stuff. Yeah. Uh, This is a supernatural slasher. One of the few I feel like that we've covered. Um, They aren't as commonplace. Well, obviously, Nightmare is the biggest. And then Candyman is a heavy supernatural slasher. And um, another movie that I almost suggested, but B was like, oh, got to stay out of the 2000s. But I want stay alive um, one day. I want to get there. Um, but like it, it's a supernatural slasher in the sense that the means of our killer is supernatural. But save for that, everything else, it's pretty much a traditional slasher movie. Mm-hmm. Right. And like at some point, all of the slashers end up turning supernatural or are supernaturally explained because. Right there's only so much you can do with characters killing or characters having like insane brute strength. That's unexplainable. Right. Um, so it is more commonplace in some of these bigger franchises to see a supernatural element because it's scary, right? They're not human. Right. We like one thing I noticed about this one, like, cause remember like how much, how off putting it was for us that voodoo kill in the first one. Yeah. Um, they like and other than kill and, other than him trying to put his soul in the body of Andy, like it's other than that, it's a straight up slasher movie. Yeah, he kills more like a traditional slasher killer in this in this uh, film with his you know ritual knife or some other bladed item that he finds. Whereas opposed to the first one, I mean, he uses a gun. He like sets up a house to explode, and it's already yeah. a really small kill count. I think right. there's only five or six kills in the first one small kill count relative to the movies we cover yeah um you know yeah the whole voodoo ritual ritual ritualistic kill that uh we have so yeah this one and again we talked about that when we covered the first movie we knew as soon as we finished it we're like the the sequels are more slashers yes um and this one is is true blue that it's exactly that Chucky himself is supernatural, but the only voodoo elements and weird shit that pops up are like the tiny bits of chanting that he does to try and take over Andy's body. Yep. That's it. The rest of the movie hashes itself out like a killer stalking their final boy slash girl. Yeah, we get the total cat and mouse mouse element of it. Um, and Chucky is obviously our killer, incredibly famous, like worldwide phenomena, like Chucky. Um, and you know, like, is his backstory very simple and cut and dry? Yes. 
Is mm-hmm. it super effective and work perfectly for what we're doing? Absolutely. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I honestly like even watching this, I'm like, why is he going after Andy again? Like, but I just, uh-huh. I just love it because it's like, because he's a sociopath and he's pissed yeah. that a kid beat him and he's uh-huh. going to prove that this little kid is not going to beat him. And it yeah. makes sense. And I, and like, I like the story is super goofy and his motives and backstory are all laced with like mysticism and weirdness. But I, for the movie, it's perfect. Right. Because there's no logic because Chucky himself, right. He's, he's a serial killer right? who was on the run and, you know, used this doll to hide and then ended up going home with this kid and this kid became his way out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, serial killers aren't sane. Mm-hmm. And it's exactly that. He's a psychopath. And so when he gets another chance, when he's reborn in the factory and he gets another chance, fuck yeah, he's going to go after that kid. Because yep. he's like, no, 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 no. This is my way. This is my way out. Yeah. It's like, it's the same as Michael coming after Lori without the sister explanation or everyone coming after Sydney, they're like, they're sociopaths. They have a one track mind and they're just like stuck on it. So like, I don't, as silly as it is to be like, why wouldn't you just take the bodies of all these other people? I love that. It's like, he's tracking down Andy because he has a vendetta now. Mm -hmm. Which is part. I mean, that's a trope. That's Mm -hmm. the big slasher trope is going after a certain character. Often we see, right. For some sort of, you know familiar tie but this almost this film takes the slasher notes and normally in the beginning we'd get the like the setup of something that happened in the past that's creating that we got that by them giving us child's play Hmm. which isn't it's slasher light um that's almost like our our two years before in the past and then now it's like this starts off as like a true slasher and it's like okay that's the events in the past that are now fueling my blueprint of a slasher that's going to take me through all of the beats because we got child's play like it Mm -hmm. almost it like wouldn't work if this was the first movie but because it's the second it it like melds the two into becoming this like more cohesive slasher film absolutely yep totally agree um, and then B mentioned his iconic weapon is his knife, but he will use whatever is around to uh, to complete his kills. Yes, um, which is just in line with the, him as a killer in general. He's a like, all right, this is what I can grab and use. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have Andy being our final boy again. Um, and I think we see a little bit more of an arc from Andy in this movie than we do from the original one. He's battling with knowing that he has this threat on his hands and that Chucky is going to find him no matter what. And his mom's in a mental institution because of it. He has these foster parents who don't believe him. Now he has this like cool foster sister who like he thinks he can trust, but you know, Still, like they're all older and just think he's this like dumb little kid and you know by the end of the film we do see a little bit more like bravery and mm-hmm. like resilience out of him than I than you 
you see in the first film, the first film, his mom kind of took that on for him. Yeah. And in this film, like Andy gets those moments along with Kyle. And then like we already said, I mean, Kyle gets introduced and truly gets, besides the fact that she's not the one fueling the story and Andy still is, she is not just another character that survives with Andy till the end. Mm-mm, she is also given a final girl story, like a legit final girl story arc. She's yeah, troubled. I, yeah. I was just going to say, like, this is one of the very few movies I can even think of other than Scream, I would say is probably the closest that we ever get um, with final characters where they are, where they, the final characters we get when they're multiple are fully developed like mm-hmm. and they all have them. their own journey right exactly and and like that's what one of the nice things about having a franchise like again like you said like the first one sets up so that andy's character arc travels over from the first one so we know it so we see his growth more but then this movie as kyle's introduction to the series gives her a full arc in just this movie um, mm-hmm. So it works so much as like a, uh, again, as a slasher, like we get that over time with Scream, like Gail and Dewey are very developed in the first Scream, but become more and more so along with Sydney as the, as the franchise goes. But like, I definitely think Gail and Dewey get way more development past the first movie um, than they're given in that one. But like this one. In this, like, we see that growth with Andy that we see in, like, the Scream franchise, but also Kyle gets her very own arc. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, she's in and out of foster care. She has, like, abandonment issues. She has trust issues. And then as the movie continues, like, she doesn't believe Andy. She doesn't trust him. And then she starts to get close to him and form a bond and breaks down some of her walls and decides like, no, I need to, I need to help him. And yep. like, I, I need to like stop shutting people out and, and do this. And that's what she does. So she so quickly and like the little time we get with her, like sort of like overcomes these big personal obstacles she has to, to defeat the killer in the end. And yep. that's, that's all you look for in a final girl arc and it's it's really rewarding in her story for sure where it comes down to the end and it's like no now we have this girl who's found somebody like found her family found somebody she can trust um and she thinks is worth sticking around for and worth fighting for because she could have easily just been like screw you kid like i'm out of here this doll's after you not me like very, very easily could have been unrelated to the the rest of the events and just been body fodder and just yep. another person for Chucky to kill. And instead she rises above that. And it's it, it definitely, you know, ups the quality of this film significantly. Yeah, I think she's actually, when we talk about Final Girls, she's one of the most under underrated. Yeah. And, I always, and I always forget until I watch this movie how effective she actually is and, like, how great of a story arc she has and how much she steps into that, like, really protector role um, and becomes a very, like, you know, resourceful and brave, like, true Final Girl that we see. Yeah. Yeah, no, I like, I like her a lot. Um, our body count is higher than the first one. Still, this one's like middle, like right in the middle, I'd say, for a lot of the movies that we cover. Um, but I hate our first kill, <laughs> like so much. Um, 
our movie kicks off with like they're at the good guys factory and they are trying to basically like they have the original doll and they're trying to like negate all this bad publicity from the murders because all this like weirdness surrounding the doll and they're like showing so you know we have our assistant who's showing that they're like recreating the original doll and they had to build it from the ground up and this weird power surge like occurs when they're putting chucky's eyes in and uh it kills one of the assembly line workers he's like electrocuted and he's thrown through the glass window um and it like to me this is the hokiest part of the movie actually uh it kind of feels like an homage to that original with the whole like lightning striking and stuff oh it totally does like yeah. this is definitely like a lightning strike like yeah it's definitely like them calling back to the original before firmly planting it in like the slasher realm um and you know it gives us the reason you know um Sullivan, who runs the company, tells Matson, um, his assistant, to cover this up. Um, and you know, like they're they're done with this project; they're not working with it anymore. Um, and that's kind of like our 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 peek into Chucky being back alive before we find out what's been going on with Andy. Um, like B mentioned, like Andy's mom is now in a, like, she is in a mental institution, um, from like the fallout of the events of the first child's play. Uh, I would be interested to see if like, if she didn't want to return to the movie or if that's where the storyline naturally went. Um, but Andy gets adopted, not adopted, but he goes to live with Phil and Joanne, um, foster parents uh, with, with Kyle. And I think there's one other kid too, right? Is that, I don't think so. Is there? Is it just Kyle? Okay, I thought for some reason I thought there was like another kid that she was reading a story to, but I guess it was just. I think uh, that was just at the foster care. There's a couple times they the places look very similar, and I would like get a little bit confused about like where they were in the beginning. Right. Um, and yeah, it is interesting because what you're saying, the a woman who plays the mom, like one of the trivia I found, her husband, um, yeah, Catherine Hicks her husband was one of the operators for the animatronics for Chucky. So she was on set almost the whole movie. Interesting. So I think it was just a creative decision not to have her, um, you know, they wanted the, to be able to introduce new characters, have the, the foster care setting. That's, I mean, I kind of like it because it does allow us to shift from, cause you know, there's like slashers are interesting. <sighs> because like they're well known for having these teen elements right we're not used to seeing these adult characters in them and that's part of why child's play one is such an anomaly like the first child's play because like yeah andy's in it but also then our other character like the babysitter but our other characters realistically are the detective and his mom who are like full-blown adults um well and you're never going to be able to step away from the whole focus of the film being the mom trying to protect her kid right yeah. So if if you continue on with having his mom in it, there's Andy's never really going to be able to be like the survivor because he's too young to be a background to have his parents be a background character, which is what we see in you know most of the teen screens is that their parents will be involved, but for the most part, it's like their kids are just getting into trouble. Right. It's very different when you have what is he nine, you know? Yeah. Like it's that that mom is going to is going to always have to take the priority and the the safety aspect of it for it to be 
believable and especially with the first movie setup like we're not going to be able to go into a second movie and be like well yeah now after all this trauma and her knowing that Chucky is real she's just going to be chill with her kid like you know getting attacked at school and whatever you know it'd, it'd be so much focus on the mom so I get it like if you want to move on from that you, you have to take the mom element out yeah and it, and it's a smart way to be able to introduce a teen character that lasts the entire movie um so no i i i can see like why they would do that that don mancini he's a smart man Mm -hmm. um so we kind of get like this um you know like the whole time we're going we're jumping back and forth for a while between andy and chucky andy is like acclimating to his new home which is a struggle because you know kyle like you know like b was saying doesn't really trust him his foster dad does not trust him at all um his foster mom is caring but also you know like has her husband who is constantly like berating her and Andy um, because Andy obviously is suffering from PTSD massively. Uh, And so like, you know, he is struggling um, especially because he knows that like the things he went through are actually real. Um, And while this is happening, we see like Chucky getting his way to Andy. So he um, hijacks Matson um in his car uh the scene the whole scene i actually like love it just because of just because it feels so like 80s nine early 90s you know if mattson going in trying to buy a bottle of booze with a gold card not getting accepted because like we only take cash here this is the uh, famous cash this is yeah. a gold card you know what this is this is a gold card and then getting in the car to get hijacked by chucky and not realizing that it's the doll um and, and then chucky hijacking him and um this is our second kill uh, he suffocates him to death with a plastic bag mm-hmm. uh, and then uses his very old car phone to track down Andy. Yeah. And this is like, you know, questionable, like movie logic. He just calls the foster care place and they just like, Oh, okay. You're his uncle Charles. Alrighty. So uh, here's where he's staying now. Like, um, you would also think like a kid involved in like, crimes and like this troubled background you wouldn't just be giving out confidential information but whatever all right right but i just love like again brad dorff's voice acting just calling and he's like i'm looking for andy barclay and they're like oh like blah blah, blah. and he's like it's his uncle charles like and he just like is laughing to himself <laughs> because uh-huh. he like knows that he's like i'm jackie <laughs> like i just all that i think the script and like the animatronic work and brad dorff's voice work all work perfectly like you know, Chucky is very, like, mean and malicious in the first one. I remember, like, rewatching the first one, like, you know, and he, he's calling her mom, his mom a bitch and everything. I'm like, damn. And, like, I do think Chucky is actually very mean in this, too, especially, like, in the end when he gets more maniacal and sinister. But we do start to see that little bit of, like, the range. Mis- from, yeah, of, the mischief of yeah, him. Yeah, exactly. Like, the mischief and, like, the the sinister wit hmm um yeah so and i love that this movie just jumps into it like so i mean you know we get that first kill six minutes in and the second kills 20 minutes in and then within 39 minutes that's when um he shows up in the classroom but at this point he's that's the third kill but chucky's already showed up to andy like he's revealed mm-hmm. himself he broke into his room he tied him up he was about to kill him and when kyle interrupts um and we've already like we're already like 
going, you know, like at this point, like Andy knows he's back. Chucky's full on messing with him. He's breaking stuff in the house. So Andy's getting blamed. He's writing fuck you bitch on Andy's homework. Um, so, so the teacher like gets him in trouble. Um, and I really like that this movie just like doesn't waste any time with it and just like really fully jumps in. It's like, we don't, we don't even spend that much time, you know, like with, with Chucky looking for Andy, he finds him with like 25 minutes of the movie. And then like the rest of the movie is Andy doing everything he can to convince people that this is real, but also very much accepting that people aren't going to believe him and, and kind of taking up the mantle of going like, I'm going to have to handle this myself because I already know I've done this before. Yeah. No one's going to believe me. Um, so he kills Miss Kettlewell with a yardstick hiding in her closet, um, which is uh, also one of, one of the goofier kills to me, but I still think oh, it's... I like it, yeah. Oh, I, I like oh no, how... I think it's a ton of fun. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's just funny because, you know, we're talking about, I mean, obviously he's a supernatural entity, but he's like, what, a three, four foot doll? Mm-hmm. Um, and like to just be taking this yardstick and just beating the shit out of a teacher. And I just love that too, because the teacher's like crazy strict, right? So it's like all these like clever which in the best slashers it's done right they have these like clever ways of killing that's related to either the character the scene they're in and so you know that's something that used to be fucking acceptable was to like slap the wrists of students with a ruler um used to be able to like slap them on the butt like even to the point where like it wasn't acceptable when I was in school but it was still so like wildly known that you kind of were like threatened by it my aunt was a first grade teacher and she was my first grade teacher and she had this like whole routine uh and which I mean the kids all loved if they didn't I mean I would assume she wouldn't do it um my aunt was beloved Ryan she was your teacher too right uh I don't think so at Frank's Zeke she was Ben's um you know she's like we come from a small town so my aunt taught like half the people I know um, she's a beloved teacher, but anywho, on people's birthdays, uh, she'd like get them and they'd stand on a chair and she'd give them a cupcake. And then while they're holding the cupcake, all the kids would count down and they'd get like a whipping of how, how many years old they were. So what, six, when you're in first grade, six or seven. And so she'd grab the ruler and, you know, slap her hands out of their butt, but it'd be this whole big thing. She's like, okay, one and slap and two and slap. And, you know, everybody just thought it was the funniest and funniest thing. And it's, you don't think about it when you're that age. And this was also almost 30 years ago, but it's. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me. You're welcome. It's uh, funny to think of the fact that that was like a legit thing you can do to kids. So um, I, I love that the like crazy strict teacher who would have been, you know, slapping children with rulers either on the butt or on the wrist gets killed with a yardstick i think it's great yeah and like even like so the stepdad's the next to go and like you know this whole time he's been like using the basement as like to he they so the whole thing is like chucky is once again taken over for a real good guy's doll um tommy um named mm-hmm. after named after tom holland yeah. um 
And, you know, he keeps showing Andy in the basement, like, look, he's down here in the basement. Like, what are you freaking out about? Um, and even like this, like, that's where he dies, right? He's going down into the basement to confront. He hears Andy down there who Andy has decided to take this electric knife and kill Chucky. Um, and he hears him down there and on his way down the stairs. And this is another thing that, like, I always enjoyed about, like, most of the like most of the kills in the Child's Play movies is, like, when they're, like, they do a good job of, like, when Chucky is killing um randomly to get to his goals it's like kind of just maliciously and however he can but when he's setting andy up he always does a good job of it's like you know he tripped and fell down the stairs because he doesn't want andy to get like go to jail or go away like he he poses accident yeah Yeah, so he does these things like he's a very methodical killer and like very intelligent and so he trips um he trips phil down the stairs and phil the breaks his neck um and then, yeah, and then, like, this is where we really move into, like, Kyle and Annie becoming our main, main characters because um, Kyle finds the real doll, realizes that Andy has been telling the truth. Um, Joanne, our, the foster mother, is killed off screen, right? Yeah, and it's a really cool, like, reveal of her body. So, yeah, Andy's gone back to foster care because she's like, you're trouble. Like, go back. Like, right. my husband's dead. There's this whole, the whole reveal of her body, it's off screen, but there's like the sewing machines going. And so you have the like the kind of eerie sound of the sewing machine. You walk up to her body and then turn and you see that um, her throat has been slit and that she's wearing around her neck the scarf that she was sewing for um, Kyle. Yeah. This is a pretty, pretty creepy reveal, um, especially in this film where it doesn't really lean into that. It it has like a very like psycho-esque, like earlier style um, kill reveal, which I really like. Right. And I always enjoy too, if you are going to see a character kill, like who is killed off screen, I want the reveal to be good. And this reveal is very (laughs) sick. Um, this is when we kind of like jump into the, like the climax of the movie, you know, like Mm -hmm. it feels like there's a timer on because Andy's back at the foster center um well, Chuck there is hears, a timer on you only have so much time to that's leave right. that body yeah to leave the body so like chucky um andy's back at the foster center chucky gets the building out like clears everyone by pulling the fire alarm he kills like the head of the foster center um i think he stabs yeah he stabs her to death um yeah and then she falls onto the copier and her face like as she's getting died like gets copied and printed over her body super cool yeah, just another one of those like really just like one of those little things that they add in to really add to that kill because it sounds so funny to say like getting stabbed is a pretty basic kill, but <laughs> like, in a slasher movie it is. So like they throw them these little like just like with uh, Joanne, they throw in like this little thing kind of as like this extra like we're yeah, we're going to kill her this way, but it's also going to like we're we're doing this little thing to add just a little bit to it. Mm-hmm. Um and then yeah, he forces um, he forces Andy to take him to the uh, Play Pals toy factory. Kyle, there's this whole chase scene with Kyle because Kyle has realized like what's happening. I really enjoyed this chase scene. I just think it's like really well done um, with Kyle like like running after them. Um, you know the I, I just really like the scene of like he's trying to do it in the back of the truck. The headlights on the truck like on the back. Like I think it just looks really cool. Um, and then they finally get to the factory and there's this like kind of fight scene. Um, um between andy this is where like andy chucky and kyle all kind of get into it um so he he um 
he tries to put himself in the body. He realizes that it's too late. Um, Kyle pushes all these dolls on him. They're like intending to, they're, they're trying to run out. Um, and then there's like this chase scene where lots of it is like factory stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's all this stuff happening in the factory. Like they, um, Kyle slams a gate on Chucky's hand. Um, he like makes a blade out of it. He kills the like factory technician. And then there's this whole scene where like he, he kills the factory technician and he puts him on this hook and like swings him into Kyle, which knocks her onto this like conveyor belt um, that is going up to this like somewhere where I, I don't really exactly know how Kyle would be killed, but it may, they make it very, I think it like has a giant blade or something. Um, so that like, it would definitely like lead to the death of Kyle. And so this is where we kind of get to see like Kyle, and Andy switching back and forth as like the final girl and final boy, because once like Kyle has been there and protected Andy and fought against Chucky. But then when Chucky takes Kyle out, Andy has to step up to the plate and he like has this whole fight scene with Chucky. Um, And I love this one too, because uh, he, he like pours this molten shit on Chucky. Like, I think it's like melted plastic um and he just looks like really monstrous like in the first one we know we see him after he's burnt alive um and then it's like that kind of goofy scene of him like launching himself with essentially no legs like while being burnt alive but in this one he's like this kind of like almost weird like goo monster um when he's like rising out of the of the melted plastic to attack them uh yeah, it's super creepy. Like the animatronic work is excellent. Like the practical, the practical effects are so good. I don't understand. Like the whole time I was watching just Chucky in general, and I mean, maybe I felt this way about the original, but I like especially felt it that way watching this one. I'm like, that's not real, right? Like this is fake. Like I can't, I can't even fathom how good it looks. Like it just doesn't register in my mind because it looks too good to be real and it looks too good to be CG. So well, I, just don't I love too, like his, just the facial expressions they get with him. It, no, it's, it's, like, I remember when we looked into it for the first one, there's like some crazy absurd amount of like individual mechanics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that they can have those facial expressions. It still blows my mind and, any type of like special effects people like I just I wish I could like enter their brain for a day and understand how their mind works because I'm just so fascinated by it and so impressed absolutely yep and like the things one of the things I love about Chucky is Chucky is like very he's kind of plays it cool but he 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 has this anger to him and when he snaps into his anger and his face changes he is legit terrifying um like when he is like when chucky like the doll gets upset and angry because like that happens a lot like it really happens we see it in the closet um when he attacks the teacher but then really in this like in this toy factory when he realizes that his time is cut short and then that he's been defeated again and he like loses it and he basically goes into this like berserker mode where you know he's crawling he's coming up out of this melted like goo like he is He's literally just like, it's not even a fight for survival anymore. It's a fight to kill um, Mm -hmm. out of pure anger and hatred. And like the way they get that in the face of an animatronic doll is 
wild. Like I can't even like I can't even give these guys enough credit for the things that they managed to do. Yeah, it's nuts. Um, and then uh, Kyle shoves a hose, a air hose, into Chucky's mouth and blows him up. Um, yeah. And it's super goofy, but I love it because like it does the traditional like straight up like his cheeks get all big like a balloon, and then he literally just blows up. Yeah, it's so good. Um, and then, yeah, like I, even the end, they're walking out of the factory and Kyle's like, let's go home. And Andy's like, where is home? And she's like, I don't know. And I just kind of, I kind of love it. Like, I think it's a really good ending. I haven't seen three in a really long time. And now that like watching this, I'm like, how do they bring him back <laughs> in the third one? Uh, yeah, I remember. it's been a while since I saw the third one. Like I said, since the original rewatch, which I think was two years ago now, um, or, or longer, I don't know. I I think it was before I had Liam, so at least a couple years ago. Um, I just remember not caring for that one. Um, but I can't. I it's set like he's in like army school or what do they call it? Um, Yeah, because he's like you know a problem child. And you know what's really weird? I was like looking it up just kind of casually while researching this one. it takes place eight years after Child's Play 2, but one month before Bride of Chucky. That's weird. It's super weird. Um, it was released nine months after Child's Play, but takes place eight years. So even though it was released in 91, it takes place in 98 for some reason. And because, because they got a different actor. Well, yeah, they wanted Andy to be older. They didn't want him to be like a they child. Yeah. Yeah, but I just I just think that's like a really weird time jump. It takes place one month before Bride of Chucky, though, because Bride of Chucky, when it comes out years later, takes place in the present day. So it actually it's kind of a weird anomaly of a movie where it like it was made in the very early 90s and takes place in the late 90s. And then technically, because of that is one month before this movie that is stylistically in production way, way more advanced than the movies leading into it. So that's just like a fun yeah, little and how they work are always so strange yeah there's a lot of hands in the pot a lot of people deciding what needs to happen mm-hmm. uh b what's your favorite kill um so my favorite kill is actually the the foster care worker grace pool um like ryan said like it's kind of generic in the sense that he she stabbed in the chest um, I just think it's done so well. One, I love that um, Chucky has a knife behind Kyle and we know, and she's like trying to communicate to Andy, like, you know, obviously there's something wrong because I'm carrying this doll and Andy knows, but the foster care worker is like, oh my God, you're the one who pulled the fire alarm. And then she's like, come in here and they're in this room and you know that there's a knife in Chucky's hand, but you can't see it. And then you know she go she goes in and Chucky jumps on her and starts stabbing her and then I just think it's really artfully done with how you know she lands on the copier and then you know her like scared screaming dying face gets printed over and over in like different ways it's just it's just a beautifully done honestly um and a really unique way to do a stabbing right um yeah i agree with you i think it's the best kill um i do appreciate the humor and the yardstick kill and i do really like 
I just like the like a like the makeup effects work for the ba- the factory technician. I think he looks like gross. Um, oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. The eye gouged out kill. Like I think it's gross. Like the aftermath, but like we don't really like super see that kill. Um, it's um, like it's more in the aftermath of it, and so this kill I think is is the best one. Mm-hmm. Um, and and like I don't know. I there's a lot to appreciate about all these kills. So like I really sure. even as goofy as the fr- first one is, I do appreciate it's like kind of callback to like the original. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of like, I do think it does supplant you because it's a movie from the nineties and it's like, Hey, look, like this is kind of our little eighties throwback. And now we're going to go and like update this movie kind of into the nineties. Um, B has a favorite quote from this one. I do. As soon as I heard it, I got, I was like, Oh, I love that so much. So when Andy and Chucky are sort of reunited for the first time, um chucky's basically like fuck you i told you i wasn't going anywhere and he says i told you we were going to be friends to the end and i just think that's so great because that's a good guy's tagline like friends to the end mm-hmm. um it's a it's a great way to do um you know a, a throwback to the original like calling to that and that relationship that they had um while still being like really sinister <laughs> Um, because it's basically a threat like to the end because I'm going to kill you. Um, I thought it was a great line. Super stood I love, out. I love the callback. And I just, that like, again, Mancini giving that as the motto of these guys just goes, it has so much mileage. Uh, mm-hmm. And it just, it works so well to make it so these things were like, because, I mean, Chucky uses that almost in, like, every movie. And he can because, like, it was so well built into the mythology of the character. Mm-hmm. And I love it. Uh, like we mentioned at the top of the show, um, like, this movie, the position of the horror landscape, um, it's seen as one of the best in the franchise. I do think it's often overlooked because um, it was just kind of released at a weird time at this, like, the beginning of the 90s where we weren't seeing a lot of slashers. I, it was, like, post-slasher boom era um i feel like when when chucky gets talked about a lot the chucky movies the newer ones especially bride um like gets brought up a lot i mean bride is my personal favorite but i think a lot of that has to do with timing it has to do with like the feel of the movie but like critically within tiffany right tiffany is a massive (laughs) massive part yeah um but like critically within the horror community this is definitely seen as like one of the best sequels for as as a slasher and and even as a horror movie it's like well regarded as one of the best like follow-ups to an original movie um this is our 76th movie um if you guys don't know at the end of every episode we rank our movies um and you can find them at keepscreaming.com slash the dash list and they are ranked according to um how well the movie works as a slasher not necessarily like if it's our favorite or like is it a good movie it's like literally looking at how it works as a slasher film um so this will be our 76th movie that we are ranking um number one is still nightmare on elm street from 1984 followed up by my bloody valentine from 81 and at the bottom of our list we have april fool's day um from 08 april fool's day from 86 and girls night out from 1982 um just for comparison the original child's play you guys can find that episode um on spotify itunes wherever podcasts are found but it is our 36th so it's pretty much almost smack dab in the middle of our list here mm-hmm. 
And as you heard us say a lot in this episode, a lot of that has to do with like the supernatural feel of that movie and how much it actually kind of doesn't do a lot of the slasher tropes. Um, it introduces a slasher killer, but it yes. doesn't give him the the movie to be a slasher in. Mm-hmm. But this movie, I feel like, succeeds way more as a slasher. It is a slasher itself. So like I said, it kind of like cheats its way into following like one of the biggest tropes, which is to have a traumatic event from the past mm-hmm. um, that a killer comes, the killer comes back later. So we have that from the first movie that now we have Andy sort of haunted by that experience. Um, so we've got that massive trope going on. We have two we have a final boy and a final girl who have an arc. They show growth. Um, they both overcome our killer um, by fighting and growing as people throughout this film. Massive, massive like attributes for a slasher. Um, we have a we have iconic a, killer. Yeah, very iconic killer. One of the most iconic killers. You know, I mean, from everything from an outfit to, you know, like we said, themed kills to you know one-liners and like if 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 you identify you know killers like chucky's going to be one of them um let's see what are some of the big ones you know it's it follows the blueprint about as well as the blueprint does itself you know mm-hmm. about any of these movies that you look in like our top 10 this one does it where this one doesn't shine because of the time it being 1990, I think, and because of, you know, it not being a teen scream, it lacks in sort of those additional slasher tropes. So it mm-hmm. follows the blueprint, follows the line, but, you know, we're not really seeing like bumbling cops. We're not seeing a lot of those other common entities. We're not seeing the caricatures of mm-hmm. these typical, like, you know, jock, the funny person, like all of those other elements that get thrown into the, the, the blueprint to create the movie other elements are thrown into this one to create the movie it's following the same trajectory it's ending in the same place where we have these two characters leading a movie that they're being stalked by you know a killer so we have all of that we have you know like like i keep saying literally we have the blueprint it's just what the what gets filled in is is very different than most slashers right so I'm kind of looking here-ish because mm-hmm. um, like a lot of these movies, so B and I are looking around like 13, 14, 15, like Urban Legend, My Bloody Valentine, Cherry Falls. They do all those same things, but then we also get our well-rounded cast, um, you know, especially My Bloody Valentine um, and, and even Cherry Falls. We get um, a very memorable and urban legend we get memorable killers just memorable in different ways they're not quite you know as cheeky as as checky is but like they all are like um you know especially like they're themed killers they have like you know um even in cherry falls like it's jay moore dressing as as a woman because of this like um back trauma this past trauma um valentine is is kind of the same thing stage fright is kind of the same thing and we still get those like tropes that we see those kind of like caricatures of characters um and i would even argue that like you know stage fright and valentine are a little more creative with their kills which is a lot of fun um but then like you look at torso and hatchet bay of blood like i think this is a good range because i do think 
you know, like Silent Night, Deadly Night works really well as a slasher, but like a lot of that is because our our killer, but like we definitely don't get any of those real character tropes at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Black Xmas, I think Black Xmas works really well too. Um, I don't know, I but I, I think I'm thinking like right. Yeah, and so when we're looking at movies, so like Hatchet itself is like a true blue slasher. We've got this awesome killer, but it's more of like a Friday the 13th type slasher where it's like hack and slash. Like it's literally just about um, Victor Crowley like killing people in really fun, extravagant, unique right. ways. Yeah, Hatchet's a body but, count to me. Yeah, but it, and you know, that's a, that's a slasher trope, high body count, introducing yeah. characters just to kill them for sure. Right. Um, that's another trope. Uh but it also lacks in like not really having a true, well, we have the final boy-ish, but not really. Um, and then we kind of get, end up getting a final girl at the very end. So it like lacks in all, a lot of like fundamentals. Right. And I then, almost feel like Hatchet too, when we cover it, we'll have a similar arc as Child's Play too, because Hatchet yeah. was set up into yeah. the actual like kind of see what we see. Um, yeah. And then we even know like the trauma from Hatchet 1 carries over into Hatchet 2 because it's her father and, and brother that are killed in hatchet one as the driving force star two mm-hmm. um a similar scenario and then you know we have two uh giallos that you mm-hmm. know heavily influenced the genre and mm-hmm. helped make the blueprint what it is so i think it, when it comes to throwing child's play two in here we just need to decide does it do enough as a slasher that it overcomes you know, is it unique and successful enough as a slasher to put it above movies that influenced and sort of helped foster that blueprint it follows? Because that's usually what it comes down to, right? You can follow the blueprint all you want, but how successful are you at it? Um, I think I think it does. It just I, 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 I'm just still con- so continually impressed with Torso and how much it actually does for the slasher genre. And like how much I didn't even realize it impacted things. Yeah, Whereas Bay- one of and- my favorite discoveries that we've we've had on the podcast. Absolutely. In Bay of Blood, we see a lot of homage to, but I still think Bay of Blood like kind of plays things fast and loose with a lot of like like the care like the tropes of things. Um, the substance in that movie's not high. <laughs> huh? I said there's not a lot of substance in that movie. That's for sure. No, for sure. I I almost want to say we put this. I don't know where you're feeling. I say under torso, but above hatchet. Oh, yeah, I think that's a good place for it. Because, because yeah. I don't think it reinvents itself enough or does enough to like really justify being above torso, even though I do think certain elements are stronger. But like I definitely think that even just after talking it out with hatchet, like it basically is going to do what hatchet two does. Um, and you know, I do like even though Victor Crowley is memorable. I mean, it's Chucky. <laughs> um, right. And I give this movie, like, I really do give this movie a ton of props for successfully giving us a final boy and a final girl with with the mm-hmm. full character arc in the in the movie. I'm bad. Yeah, I think the biggest flaw it has, and that's just because of the structure of the film itself and where it's coming from with the original Child's Play, is that it's limited in what it can do with how many people it kills, you know, how creative those kills are, which I think they get more creative as the series goes on. Um, it definitely plays more into that. 
um, those elements of giving Chucky a little bit more like insanity with these setups, which I enjoy. Um, you know, just feels like a tiny bit more muted and so focused in this Andy vendetta that there's not and and Chucky doesn't have enough people he runs into to get to Andy to you know be on the lines of some of these other ones where uh, we only really have two main characters in this movie. Right. Yeah. No, I'm cool it's with that. Totally fine, but yeah. um, it it just does. Um, affect the you know the ranking for sure oh yeah and it just operates so much more as a slasher than the first one like i'm happy to see it higher up too mm-hmm. cool so child's play is our new number 19 um in between torso and hatchet um or child's play too sorry and then um as long as b and i can get things lined up we will be back in two weeks with silver party massacre um with a special guest um that will be really cool um that we want to do for women in horror month um and it's funny because we were like we're going to keep this episode short and it was an hour and 50 minutes long um but that's what happens when b and i start talking about something we really enjoy and picking it apart yeah. so um i'm okay with that not short episode nope um I yeah but that... decided to sleep the whole time what an angel yeah so i'm okay with that again one of the reasons i love doing this show is being able to like there are some definitely where i'm like well like dark red i was like this is gonna be a 50 minute episode but um like child's play too obviously when we get into it we're like we like this movie um and there's a reason yeah. that, you know yeah. i mean it's the reason it's as famous as it is so um cool so we'll be back in two weeks with hopefully summer party master if not we'll let you all know we would love to hear from you and you can find us online at keepscreaming.com on facebook twitter and instagram at at screamingcast And if you haven't yet, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. It helps us grow and snag great new listeners. Thanks for listening, and until next time, keep screaming!